Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. number 877-381-3811-877-381-3811. I was attracted to radio even as a young kid. Not because I necessarily wanted to be on radio, not because I necessarily thought people on radio were cool, although I did in many regards. Because I saw then, and I see it today, as the most ubiquitous outlet to get across a point of view. And in addition to that, I guess when I was 13 or 14, for reasons I can't completely explain, I became focused like a laser on America's founding. What makes America so great? And it was fortuitous that my family and I lived about an hour or 45-minute train ride from Independence Hall. I would take the train with my buddy Eric Christensen. His apartment was above a pharmacy. As a young kid, he lived with his mother. We take the train, it was the Reading, became the uh, SEPTA train, down to the Market Street, Market Street uh, station in Philadelphia, not too far from City Hall. But rather than making a right turn, we'd make a left turn and walk a bit to Independence Hall. And we did this many, many weekends. And we walked through Independence Hall. We read everything we could read. The park guards. We talked to them. Learned as much as we could. 
the first custom house, Betsy Ross's home, the burial place for Benjamin Franklin and his wife. We'd walk around that Independence Hall, which was the Pennsylvania State Assembly building. We'd look at the assembly room. We'd look at the chair. The chair where George Washington sat. We were looking at a room where the Declaration of Independence was debated, amended, and adopted. We were looking at a room where almost a decade later, the Constitution of the United States for five and a half hot Philadelphia summers was debated and debated and then adopted to send to the states. We saw where the Supreme Court met. Really a little room, probably the size of a den or a family room at first. We saw what's called the upper house, the Senate, where the Senate met. The lower house, on the first level, the lower level where the house met. That's why one's called the upper house and one's called the lower house. We saw Abraham Lincoln on the front, on the sidewalk, gave his speech in Independence Hall, where John Kennedy gave his speech, where Woodrow Wilson gave his speech, where Coolidge gave his speech, rejecting what Woodrow Wilson had said. When we were kids, the Liberty Bell was housed in Independence Hall. Now, of course, it's housed in Constitution Hall, which they built across the way. This is in my blood, as it is in your bloodstream. This had never happened. Never happened in the course of humanity. And I dare say it'll never happen again. This building, this place, where our founding document and our governing documents were debated and adopted. The creation of the most successful human experiment in the history of mankind. In the history of mankind. What a fantastic America. greater than Athens, greater than Rome, greater than anything that came before, standing on the shoulders of Athens and Rome, and in many ways the British Parliament. The men who gathered there for the Declaration and the Constitution were very, very brave men no matter what you've heard about them, no matter what they're saying about them. These are men who put aside their lives and their fortunes, put aside their families. Traveling was difficult. Disease was widespread. To establish the freest, most just, most prosperous nation on the face of the earth. 
They didn't know it at the time. But what they did know is that they were creating the foundations for such a country. They're condemned by the enemies of this country today for not resolving all the conflicts right there and then. No country does that. It was an impossibility. But they created the avenues through which a more perfect nation could over time be established. But the nation had to be established in the first place. And they did a pretty damn good job of it. And so it is when you listen to this program. It's a little different than most programs. I know there's a lot going on today. I know there are a ton of issues. A ton of sound bites. But I am deeply, deeply concerned, as I've been for a long time, about the survivability of this republic from enemies, foreign, and especially domestic. And what's being created in this country, the totalitarian techniques, repeating the big lies, the mob rule, all in the name of the rule of law, all in the name of the justice. The very people are undermining this republic are claiming to defend it and protect it. If their enemy is not Donald Trump, their enemy is Ronald Reagan. If their enemy is not Ronald Reagan, their enemy is Richard Nixon. If their enemy is not Richard Nixon, their enemy is Thomas Jefferson. It's not Thomas Jefferson, it's George Washington. If it's not George Washington, down the list. Every imperfection of a great, large society with such a diverse population is exploited. Is exploited. Every act of freedom is attacked. They tell us equity, not even equality. Equity is why man exists. No, equity is not why man exists. Some people are smarter than others. Some are stronger than others. Some are luckier than others. Some work harder than others. Liberty is why man exists in a civil and just society. The Marxists have tried equity. And despite murdering a hundred million people, they still haven't gotten there. And they never will. The Declaration of Independence. Unalienable rights. Read the Declaration again. What is it all about? The Declaration is a very short document. It is the formal consensus position of those who founded America. It's based on thousands of years of experience. 
thousands of years of experience. It's based on the greatest of the ancient philosophers. It's based on the Renaissance. It's based on Reformation. It's based on Judeo-Christian values. All of that in one short document. These men in Philadelphia, they didn't make up all these ideas. They studied them, they researched them, they learned them. They didn't say they had all the answers. They never said they had all the answers. Which is why they wrote a constitution that leaves you, the people, with the power to ask the questions and answer them. And the power to amend the constitution. Which is why they left so much power to the states. They knew. They knew that they did not have all the answers. What does this have to do with anything? I watched a clip of Liz Cheney on Fox Sunday. She had all the answers. She knew who should be president and who shouldn't be president. She believes that she should be president. I watch these hosts. I watch people like Jake Sherman. I watch politicians like Adam Kingsinger and Eric Swalwell. These are not humble people. They're self-righteous. They're narcissistic. That's, in many respects, their generation, but in most respects, it's them. We confuse these egoists with righteousness. They're not righteous. Adam Kingsinger wasn't a big Trump supporter, then all of a sudden the events of January 6th turned him against Trump. Adam Kingsinger hated Trump from day one. From day one. Liz Cheney wasn't a big Trump supporter, and then January 6th occurred, and then she decided she was going to save the country and the Republican Party from its citizens and from its members. No. She hated Trump for a long time. People who are trying to settle scores are self-aggrandizing to promote themselves. Those are not righteous people. Those are not constitutionalists. We know the media are utterly and completely ideological, aligned with the Democrat Party, and fully corrupt. They've demonstrated this to us, which is why they are despised more than any other institution in America, because they deserve to be. They've done enormous damage to this country. 
to the society, to the politics, and to our constitutional order. When we come back, I want to put some meat on this bone. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Folks, it's no secret that Americans are more divided than ever, and it's not just over what policies will improve our great country. No, it's over whether America is great at all, whether America deserves our love. That's why Imprimus, Hillsdale's Digest of Liberty, is so important. Imprimus looks at the issues of the day from a constitutional perspective, reminding citizens always of our great heritage of liberty. For 50 years, Imprimus has featured speeches given at Hillsdale events by the smartest conservative thinkers and writers. These days, Hillsdale publishes people like Victor Davis Hanson, Molly Hemingway, and Chris Rufo. Over 6.2 million American households and businesses receive Imprimus absolutely free, and I urge you to sign up for it today at absolutely no charge. I always look forward to receiving my copy of Imprimus. My friends at Hillsdale and I want you to have a free subscription as well. To get your free subscription, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. What I'm going to do when we come back, as there's only a minute or so left in this segment, is I want to play you a clip of Adam Kingsinger, of Eric Swalwell, it was on CNN, both of whom were on CNN. And I want to play you a clip of somebody named Jake Sherman on MSNBC today. They're all saying the same thing. They're all saying what I've told you they would say and what they've all desired. And that is the criminal prosecution of a former president of the United States. And the fatal damage that will do to the body politic and the fatal damage it'll do to polarization in this nation. Now, the people who've been pushing this agenda, whether it's pushing impeachments, pushing a special counsel, pushing Russia collusion, pushing this January 6th committee, they don't care. But I care. I care about this country and the precedent this sets and what a good half of the nation is going to think when a Democrat president, a Democrat attorney general, a Democrat U.S. attorney, a Democrat committee under a Democrat speaker of the House of Representatives conduct themselves this way. I'll be right back. Folks, it's no secret that Americans are more divided than ever, and it's not just over what policies will improve our great country. No, it's over whether America is great at all, whether America deserves our love. That's why Imprimus, Hillsdale's Digest of Liberty, is so important. Imprimus looks at the issues of the day from a constitutional perspective, reminding citizens always of our great heritage of liberty. For 50 years, Imprimus has featured speeches given at Hillsdale events by the smartest conservative thinkers and writers. These days, Hillsdale publishes people like Victor Davis Hanson, Molly Hemingway, and Chris Rufo. Over 6.2 million American households and businesses receive Imprimus absolutely free, and I urge you to sign up for it today at absolutely no charge. I always look forward to receiving my copy of Imprimus. My friends at Hillsdale and I want you to have a free subscription as well. To get your free subscription, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now, L-E-V-I-N, 
for Hillsdale.com. When Mark Levin speaks, the backbenchers take notes. Call in now, 877-381-3811. Nothing that I explain or the context I give, constitutional, historical, or what have you, ever winds up in the New York Times, the Washington Post, or any of the so-called media reporters. Because their goal is, and their effort is, to destroy somebody's character and reputation. They have a mindset, they have groupthink, and that's the way it is. They simply do not want to engage. They are all Alinskyites, personalized, target, and destroy. That's what they are. Now, I want to continue where I left off. I want you to listen to Adam Kingsinger on CNN today. Cut three, go. Um, I think our investigation, though it is not a criminal investigation, certainly has brought some things to light that DOJ is watching. And uh, it seems like between that and uh, some of the search warrants that have been served and some of the other things we've seen, that they are moving forward. Look, I think it is important for the Department of Justice to get a handle on what the criminality of, of what happened is and if there are crimes to prosecute them because we cannot live in a country where we send a message that a president is above the law as long as he fails at a coup attempt but by the way if he ever succeeds at a coup attempt then there's probably no law anyway uh, this is important for us as a country to put out that standard okay so what he's saying he's sending a message that if Donald Trump isn't prosecuted then he's gotten away with a coup attempt that's what he's saying that is what he's saying that's his conclusions as a member of a committee that has no authority of any kind granted to it by the Constitution to undertake criminal investigations by a committee that has violated every sense of justice I think Alan Dershowitz has explained it. I've explained it. Some others who are serious about these matters have explained it. An absolute rogue operation. If they were confident in what they were doing, if they were confident in what they were doing, Nancy Pelosi would have followed the tradition in the House of Representatives and Kevin McCarthy could have picked whomever he wished to be on this committee. But it wasn't about being confident about what they were doing. It was about a sham show trial and getting Donald Trump prosecuted. That has been their game plan for five years. Now we have Eric Swalwell on CNN. Yesterday, CNN is, along with MSNBC and some conservative editorial pages and, uh, and others, the mouthpieces for this ideology mouthpieces because they don't stop and think about even what they're saying certainly on the conservative side Swalwell in my view who should have been investigated and prosecuted and done time in prison for sleeping with a communist Chinese spy 
that he sought out by CNN and others for his commentary. Cut four, go. Well, they're concerned um, that it may seem like it is political if they do indeed indict a, a former president. Yeah, you know, I, I would say we had norms in this country that you would typically, you know, not you would tr- try hard not to indict a former president. Gerald Ford, uh, mm-hmm. of course, pardoned uh, Richard Nixon. But this ain't any old former president, right? He broke those norms when he stopped the tradition of a peaceful transition of power. And so I think he should be treated no better than any criminal defendant that's being investigated uh, and no worse. Uh, and that really should be the way to go. But he is otherwise- being treated worse, isn't he? Look at this committee. It has one aim. And I've been telling you this month after month after month. And here it is. Full-throated by members of the committee by members of the Democrat Party, by never-Trumpers, by press, by editorial pages, full-throated in what they're pursuing. Go ahead. If we just let him go for the sake of moving on, he's not getting better. In fact, he's getting worse, and he's putting in place people across the country who would go into office, who are inspired by him, who won't honor uh, the next transition to power. So he needs to be placed in prison to make example of, says this Democrat reprobate who spent about 14 seconds running for president of the United States in his party, and his party soundly rejected him. Although I think the Communist Chinese Party might embrace him. And then there's a so-called reporter named Jake Sherman over at MSLSD today, and here's what he had to say. Cut 26, go. Yeah, what we're seeing right now, Nicole, is probably one of the most stunning things I've ever covered in congressional and uh, uh, Washington politics, which is you have a congressional committee building a public case for indictments. I mean, let's stop there. It's exactly what I told you they were doing months and months and months ago. None of the legal analysts even pointed it out, even gave a damn. They weren't looking at the big picture. They were being spoon-fed propaganda by a rogue committee set up by Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats, two of whom are never Trump or Republicans. That has been the game plan the entire time. Not legislative oversight, but to abuse their power, to use their power, to skirt the Bill of Rights, to collect information with a staff that is wholly partisan to one aim, with members who are wholly partisan to one aim, and to exclude other information. Go ahead. Justice is is following in the breadcrumbs, as Jackie laid out, and she's so right, of of this just wide-ranging and broad investigation Mm. in which there's just a public case being made so forcefully in front of millions of people almost every week this summer of uh, purported illegality by the former administration. And I just saw the preview clip of of Lester Holt speaking to Merrick Garland, the attorney general, which I guess will air on, on NBC Nightly News tonight, of him basically suggesting that no one's above the law and the Justice Department is going to take uh, any act that was illegal quite seriously. I mean, he has said that before, um, but I could tell you up here the patience is running thin 
uh, with the yeah. Justice Department among Democrats because this committee has just built up such a massive wealth of information that that really cannot be ignored and, and frankly has not been ignored. It's amazing. The Democrats are frustrated that the Department of Justice has not indicted Donald Trump yet. With the overwhelming evidence of criminality. What criminal statute are they talking about? Now, the prosecution of a former president for actions taken while he was president in challenging the outcome of the election in which the subsequent President Biden and the Biden administration is exercising the decision-making authority over whether to bring criminal action against that former president for challenging the election is an extraordinarily dangerous attack on our constitutional construct. It's an extraordinarily dangerous precedent to create. Especially here, with the supposed statutes that they're loosely referencing on these TV shows and elsewhere, and their application, which is ambiguous at best. In a choice of members of a grand jury or a jury in a city that's almost 95% Democrat, I am telling you, will blow a hole through the hull of the ship of state that can never, ever be fixed. Never, ever be fixed. I understand what the Democrat Party's up to. They've been up to it for a long time. The same party that doesn't even believe in the Constitution, yet claims to believe in it. Separation of powers, which I continue to bring up on Fox, on Levin TV, behind this microphone, whenever, wherever I can, is as crucial to this republic as the Bill of Rights, as the direct representation of the people, and the whole nature of republicanism to begin with. The Democrat Party violated the traditions in handling impeachment twice cut out the Republicans. That wasn't done in the case of Andrew Johnson. That wasn't done in the case of Richard Nixon. That wasn't done in the case of Bill Clinton, but it was done twice in the cases of Donald Trump. The Russia collusion scandal is the greatest political scandal this nation's ever faced. Why? Because it involved a former first lady who was running for president. It involved the Democrat National Committee. It involved major law firms in Washington, D.C. It involved the Federal Bureau of Investigation. It involved the Department of Justice. It involved a president and a vice president, the extent to which has never been fully investigated. And it involved the intelligence community. And it involved the media. And yet you elected Donald Trump. And they are furious with you. Look at the January 6th committee. We've never had a committee like this before, ever. Dershowitz likes to point to the 
McCarthy hearings. McCarthy hearings, okay. But there were Democrats on that committee, a majority Democrats and Republicans, each party choosing their members. That didn't happen here. Lynn Cheney's lame response is, well, Kevin McCarthy could have appointed others, but Nancy Pelosi doesn't get a veto power over which members Kevin McCarthy, the Republicans, choose to serve on this committee. And yet she assumed the power to appoint the Republicans and the Democrats, which is why her DNA and her fingerprints are not to be examined. This is a grave assault on this republic. A grave assault. And they talk about division and polarization. This will be a fatal blow in that in that regard. Fatal. Because despite what the media say and how they talk to themselves and how they convince themselves, despite what the Republican establishment says and the rhinos and the never Trumpers and how they convince themselves and talk about these matters among themselves. They live in a bubble. Tens of millions, tens of millions of people. Tens of millions of people will be thoroughly, thoroughly disgusted, if not furious, by a Democrat president a Democrat Attorney General, a Democrat U.S. Attorney, a Democrat Speaker of the House, a Democrat House, a Democrat-controlled committee with two Republican never Trumpers, in a over 90% Democrat city, pulling off a scam like this. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Folks, it's no secret that Americans are more divided than ever, and it's not just over what policies will improve our great country. No, it's over whether America is great at all, whether America deserves our love. That's why Imprimus, Hillsdale's Digest of Liberty, is so important. Imprimus looks at the issues of the day from a constitutional perspective, reminding citizens always of our great heritage of liberty. For 50 years, Imprimus has featured speeches given at Hillsdale events by the smartest conservative thinkers and writers. These days, Hillsdale publishes people like Victor Davis Hanson, Molly Hemingway, and Chris Rufo. Over 6.2 million American households and businesses receive Imprimus absolutely free, and I urge you to sign up for it today at absolutely no charge. I always look forward to receiving my copy of Imprimus. My friends at Hillsdale and I want you to have a free subscription as well. To get your free subscription, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. The media, the Democrats, the never-Trumpers, the same crowd, they want you to believe that we've never had controversial elections before. They want you to believe that presidential candidates have never tried to influence the outcome of an election. They want you to believe that it is illegal, criminally illegal, for a president to try and influence a state legislature to send different delegates to Washington, D.C., or even a second list of delegates. 
None of it's illegal. None of it's criminal. Show me the statute. Don't hand me this obstruction and fraud stuff that had no purpose in being applied to these situations. Show it to me. They can't. They won't. Any more than they can't and won't show you one sentence or half a sentence anywhere in any text, in any email, in any document, by any witness that can attest to Donald Trump. Donald Trump leading a violent insurrection. There's nothing. And so when you have a fraudulent reporter like Jake Sherman saying, week after week, the the abundance of information on illegality is just unbelievable. Or they bring in the same reprobates, Eric Swalwells, the Adam Kingsingers, the Liz Cheneys. And notice, notice who's not on the Sunday shows. Jim Jordan. And others who would like to take this on. Ron Johnson. Never. It's just the accusers. Always the accusers. At least early in the Republic and for some time thereafter. So-called news organizations. They would have to declare which party they were supporting or which candidate they were supporting. Today, they don't even pretend to be (laughs) impartial or objective. They have an absolute affirmative duty to be partisan. That's their position. For the sake of the nation. They have an absolute affirmative duty to be partisan. And that's what they are, corrupt. A little bit more history when we return. Because you'll get none of that on TV And most of it you won't get on radio either. I'll be right back. This segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month. Go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you. Thank you again for listening, and thank you so much for this sponsorship, Pure Talk. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. I have an exciting announcement for you in a little while. At least I think it is. I hope you do. And so what is this? Challenging elections and electors. and The first real election in this country was 1800. That was really the first real election. And as Smithsonian Magazine put it so long ago, what made it such a protracted affair was that state legislatures were elected throughout the year as these assemblies more often than not chose presidential electors. You see what I'm saying? The assemblies chose presidential electors. 
the state contest to determine them became part of the national campaign. In 1800, the greatest surprise among these contests occurred in New York, a large, crucial state that had given all 12 of its electoral votes to Adams in 1796, allowing him to eke out a three-vote victory over Jefferson. The battle for supremacy in the New York legislature had hinged on the outcome in New York City. Thanks largely to lopsided wins in working-class wards, where many voters owned no property, the Republicans secured all 24 of New York's electoral votes for Jefferson and Aaron Burr. For Abigail Adams, John's wife, that was enough to seal Adams' fate. John Dawson, a Republican congressman from Virginia, declared the Republicans safe, the Federalist Party are in rage and despair. But Adams himself refused to give up hope. After all, New England, which accounted for nearly half of the electoral votes needed for a majority, was solidly in his camp, and he felt certain he would win some votes elsewhere. Adams believed that if he could get South Carolina's eight votes, he would be virtually certain to garner the same number of electoral votes that had put him over the top four years earlier. And at first, both parties were thought to have a shot at carrying the state. When South Carolina's legislature was elected in mid-October, the final tally revealed that the assembly was about evenly divided between Federalists and Republicans. The unaffiliated representatives, all pro-Jefferson, would determine the outcome. Now Adams' hopes were fading fast. Again, the legislature picked the electors, not the voters. Upon hearing the news that Jefferson was assured of South Carolina's eight votes, Abigail Adams remarked to her son Thomas that the consequence to us personally is that we retire from public life. All that remained to be determined was whether the assembly would instruct the electors to cast their second vote for Burr or Pickney. The various presidential electors met in their respective state capitals to vote on December 3. By law, their ballots were not to be opened and counted until February 11. But the outcome could hardly be kept secret for 10 weeks. Sure enough, just nine days after the vote, Washington, D.C.'s National Intelligencer newspaper broke the news that neither Adams nor Pickney had received a single vote in South Carolina. And in the voting at large, Jefferson and Burr had each received 73 electoral votes. Adams had 65, Pickney 64. The House of Representatives would have to make the final decision between the two Republicans, Jefferson and Burr. Now remember, Jefferson was chosen as the presidential candidate, Burr as the vice presidential candidate, but it didn't matter. This was the flaw in the system that would eventually be fixed by the 12th Amendment. Adams thus became the first presidential candidate to fall victim victim to the three-fifths of one individual in calculating population used to allocate both House seats and electoral votes. In the House, each state would cast a single vote. If each of the 16 states voted, that is, if none abstained, nine states would elect the president. Republicans controlled eight delegations. New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Virginia, North Carolina, Georgia, Kentucky, and Tennessee. 
The Federalists held six, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, Delaware, and South Carolina. And two delegations, Maryland and Vermont, were deadlocked. Though Jefferson and Burr had tied in the Electoral College, public opinion appeared to side with Jefferson. Not only had he been the choice of his party's nominating caucus, but he had served longer at the national level than Burr, and in more exalted capacities. But if neither man was selected by noon on March 4th, when Adams' term ended, the country would be without a chief executive until the newly elected Congress convened in December, nine months later. In the interim, the current Federalist-dominated Congress would be in control. In other words, the party that was voted out would get to stay. Faced with such a prospect, Jefferson wrote to Burr in December. His missive was cryptic, but in it, he appeared to suggest that if Burr accepted the vice presidency, he'd be given greater responsibilities than previous vice presidents. I'm sure the U.S. Attorney today and the Department of Justice would want to investigate Jefferson for such an offer. Burr's response to Jefferson was reassuring. He pledged to disclaim all competition, quote-unquote, and spoke of, quote, your administration. Meanwhile, the Federalists of Adams' party caucused to discuss their options. Some favored tying up the proceedings in order to hold on to power for several more months. Can you imagine the U.S. Attorney and the Attorney General today, what they would do with that? Some wanted to try to invalidate on technical grounds, enough electoral votes to make Adams the winner. Can you imagine that, ladies and gentlemen? What would the U.S. Attorney and the Attorney General say about that today? Some urged the party to throw its support to Burr, believing that as a native of mercantile New York City, it would be more friendly than Jefferson to the Federalist Economic Program. Not a few insisted that the party should support Jefferson as he was clearly the popular choice. Others, including Alexander Hamilton, who had long opposed Burr in the rough and tumble of New York City politics, thought Jefferson more trustworthy than Burr. Hamilton argued that Burr was without scruple and unprincipled, voluptuary, who would plunder the country. But Hamilton also urged the party to stall in the hope of inducing Jefferson to make a deal. Oh, can you imagine that investigation by the U.S. Attorney or Attorney General? But Hamilton proposed that in return for the Federalist votes that would make him president, Jefferson should promise to preserve the Federalist fiscal system, a properly funded national debt in the bank, American neutrality, and a strong Navy, and to agree to keeping in office all our federal friends below the cabinet level. Wow. Can you imagine, Mr. Producer? Doesn't that sound like blackmail? Even Adams joined the fray, telling Jefferson the presidency would be his in an instant, should he accept Hamilton's terms. Jefferson declined, insisting that he, quote, should never go into the office of president with my hands tied by any conditions, which should hinder me from pursuing the measures he thought best. Can you imagine again, ladies and gentlemen? Can you imagine what would be done today to Adams? Hamilton, and Jefferson. In the end, the Federalists decided to back Burr. Hearing of their decision, Jefferson told Adams that any attempt, quote, to defeat the presidential election, unquote, would, quote, produce resistance by force and incalculable consequences, quote, 
Unquote. Wow. Burr, who had seemed to disavow a fight for the highest office, now let it be known that he would accept the presidency if elected by the House. And so what did he do? He lobbied. In Philadelphia, he met with several Republican congressmen, allegedly, allegedly telling them that he intended to fight for the presidency. Burr had to know he was playing a dangerous game and risking political suicide by challenging Jefferson, his party's reigning power. The safest course would have been to acquiesce to the vice presidency. He was a young man, and given Jefferson's pension for retiring to Monticello, he had done so in 76, 81, and 93, it's a good chance Burr would be his party's standard bearer as early as 1804 in the next election. But Burr also knew there was no guarantee he would live to see future elections. His mother and father had died at ages 27 and 42, respectively. Burr was not the only intrigue. Given the high stakes, every conceivable pressure was applied to change votes. <gasps> change votes? Every conceivable pressure? Those in the deadlock delegations recorded daily, but no one was lobbied more aggressively than James Byard. Delaware's lone congressman, who held in his hands the sole determination of how his state would vote. 32 years old in 1800, he had practiced law in Wilmington before winning election to the House as a Federalist four years earlier. He despised Virginia's Republican planters, including Jefferson, whom he saw as hypocrites who owned hundreds of slaves and lived like feudal barons as they played the role of high priests of liberty. He announced he was supporting Burr. The city of Washington awoke to a crippling snowstorm on Wednesday, February 11, the day the House was to begin voting. Nevertheless, only one of the 105 House members did not make it to Congress, and his absence would not change his delegation's tally. Voting began the moment the House was gaveled into session. When the roll call was complete, Jefferson carried eight states, Burr six, and two deadlocked. Jefferson still needed one more vote for a majority of the states. Second vote was held with a similar tally, then a third. When at 3 a.m., the exhausted congressman finally called it a day, 19 roll calls had taken place, all with the same inconclusive result. By Saturday evening, three days later, the House had cast 33 ballots. The deadlock seemed unbreakable. For weeks, warnings had circulated of drastic consequences if Republicans were denied the presidency. Now that danger seemed palpable. A shaken President Adams was certain the two sides had come to the precipice of disaster and that civil war was expected. There was talk that Virginia would secede if Jefferson was not elected. Some Republicans declared they would convene another constitutional convention to restructure the federal government so that it reflected the democratic spirit of America. It was rumored that a, a mob had stormed the arsenal in Philadelphia and was preparing to march on Washington to drive the defeated Federalists from power. Jefferson said he could not restrain those of his supporters who threatened a dissolution of the Union. Wow, dereliction of duty. He told Adams that many Republicans were prepared to use force to prevent the Federalist legislative usurpation of the executive branch. I think you understand why I'm reading this to you. In all likelihood, it was these threats that ultimately broke the deadlock. The shift occurred sometime after Saturday's final ballot. It was Delaware's Bayard who blinked. That night, he sought out a Republican close to Jefferson. 
Almost certainly John Nichols, a member of Virginia's House delegation. Were Delaware to abstain, Ballard pointed out, only 15 states would ballot. With eight states already in his column, Jefferson would have a majority in the elusive victory at last. But in return, Bayard asked, would Jefferson accept the terms that the Federalists had earlier proffered? Nicholas responded, according to Bayard's later recollections, that these conditions were very reasonable and that he could vouch for Jefferson's acceptance. The Federals caucused behind doors on Sunday afternoon, February 15th. When Bayard's decision to abstain was announced, it touched off a firestorm. Cries of traitor, traitor rang down on him. He himself later wrote that the clamor was prodigious. The reproach is vehement, and many old colleagues were furious with him. Two matters in particular roiled his colleagues. Some were angry that he had broken ranks before it was known what kind of deal, if any, Burr might have made willing to cut. Others were upset that nothing had been heard from Jefferson himself. And during a second Federalist caucus that afternoon, Baird agreed to take no action until Burr's answer was known. In addition, the caucus directed Baird to seek absolute assurances that Jefferson would actually go along with the deal. Early the next morning, February 16, Monday, according to Bayard's later testimony, Jefferson made it known through a third party that the terms demanded by the Federalists corresponded with his views and intentions, that we might confide in him accordingly. The bargain was struck, at least to Bayard's satisfaction. Unless Burr offered even better terms, Jefferson would be the third president of the United States. At some point that Monday afternoon, Burr's letters arrived. What exactly he said or did... He did not did not say in them. They likely were destroyed soon after they reached Washington and their contents remain a mystery. Disappointed as Federalist proponents. Baird in a letter written that money told a friend that Burr has acted a miserable paltry part. The election was in his power. But Burr, at least according to Baird's interpretation, and for reasons that remain unknown to history, had refused to reach an accommodation with his Federalists. That same Monday... <coughs> A dejected Theodore Sedgwick, Speaker of the House and passionate Jefferson hater, notified friends at home the gig is up. The gig is up. The following day, February 7, the House gathered at noon and cast its 36th and, as it turned out, final vote. Bayard was true to his word, Delaware abstained, ending seven days of contention in a long electoral battle. Not too smooth, was it, Mr. Producer? You see all the back and forth, see all the lobbying, see the pressuring to get electors to switch their votes? Did you notice that, Mr. Producer? Did you notice the action was with the state legislatures, not judges in the states, not governors in the states? Did you notice that, America? By lobbying state legislatures, by encouraging electors, Donald Trump didn't break any criminal law. It's steeped in our history. We are surrounded by constitutional illiterates and ignoramuses. And many of them hold powerful positions in prosecutorial jobs in the U.S. Attorney's Office in Washington, in the U.S. Attorney General's Office in Washington, and on our television networks. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin.
Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile are charging you a premium fee every month for data you don't use. Stop paying for things you don't use. Instead of paying $89 a month to your current provider, pay just $20 to Pure Talk for what you actually need. I made the switch, and I'll be honest, I was nervous at first thinking, well, is the coverage really going to be that good? Am I going to drop calls, slow internet? I can tell you firsthand. The 5G service is that good. Switching to Pure Talk was that easy. So listen, don't sit on the fence any longer. You're being ripped off by greedy wireless companies. It's time to take the leap and start saving money every month. Go to puretalk.com, select a plan, then enter promo code Levin Podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N Podcast and save 50% off your first month. You can literally be switched over to Pure Talk service in less than 10 minutes. So go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. And then there's this passage. By the way, credit to John Furling, author, November 1, 2004, of this outstanding piece. The final mystery of the election of 1800 is whether Thomas Jefferson and his backers would have sanctioned violence had he been denied the presidency. Soon after taking office, Jefferson claimed that, quote, there was no idea of using force, unquote. But his remark proves little. Yet during the ongoing battle in the House, he alternately spoke of acceding to the Federalist misconduct in the hope that their behavior would ruin them, or of calling a second constitutional convention. He probably would have chosen one or both of those courses before risking bloodshed in the end of the Union. You understand, Jefferson mentioned the use of force by the Republicans against the Federalists and against the existing government several times. Donald Trump has mentioned it not once. Never, ever, period. I'll be right back. Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile are charging you a premium fee every month for data you don't use. Stop paying for things you don't use. Instead of paying $89 a month to your current provider, pay just $20 to Pure Talk for what you actually need. I made the switch, and I'll be honest, I was nervous at first thinking, well, is the coverage really going to be that good? Am I going to drop calls, slow internet? I can tell you firsthand. The 5G service is that good. Switching to Pure Talk was that easy. So listen, don't sit on the fence any longer. You're being ripped off by greedy wireless companies. It's time to take the leap and start saving money every month. Go to puretalk.com, select a plan, then enter promo code Levin Podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N Podcast and save 50% off your first month. You can literally be switched over to Pure Talk service in less than 10 minutes. So go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. Mark Levin, America's think tank. And you can call him at 877-381-3811. The same people trying to destroy the independence of the Supreme Court and pack it with uh, ideologues of their ilk claim to be worried about the public's perception of elections. The same people who call the Supreme Court right-wing, illegitimate, that justices lied, that have threatened justices on the Senate floor, are concerned you might find the election illegitimate. 
But now, unfortunately, everything I've been saying has come true. This is why I spend an enormous amount of time on it on this program. This is the Washington Compost, a story breaking right now by Carol Lenig, Devlin Barrett, Josh Dawsey, and Spencer Shu. That's four reporters. Justice Department investigating Trump's actions in January 6th criminal probe. People familiar with the probe said investigators are examining the former president's conversations and have seized phone records of top aides. The Justice Department is investigating President Donald Trump's actions as part of its criminal probe of efforts to overturn the 2020 election results, according to four people familiar with the matter. To overturn the results, you see. Prosecutors who are questioning witnesses before a grand jury. So this thing is now moved from Congress and politics and the Constitution into criminalization. Exactly what I told you they were doing. And I could give you other examples in history, not just Jefferson, but others. But you see how disastrous this is. Prosecutors who are questioning witnesses before a grand jury, including two top aides, the vice president, Mike Pence, I assume one of them is Mark Short, have asked in recent days about conversations with Trump, his lawyers and others in his inner circle who sought to substitute Trump allies for certified electors from some states. Joe Biden won, according to two people familiar with the matter. So now we have prosecutors and investigators at the federal level, criminally investigating things that Trump said to advisors, including his lawyers, about challenging the results of the election. Now, how dangerous is that? Of course, both spoke on condition of anonymity to discuss an ongoing investigation, which, of course, is a crime, and the irony is not lost on anybody. The prosecutors have asked hours of detailed questions about meetings Trump led in December 2020 and January 2021. His pressure campaign on Pence to overturn the election. And what instructions Trump gave his lawyers and advisors about fake electors and sending electors back to the states, the people said. These are crimes. They're trying to put together a case, ladies and gentlemen, because these people really are constitutional illiterates. It doesn't matter. The media don't care. None of them care about obstructing an official, you know, count about trying to overturn the election, in effect, in a coup. This is what they're doing. In addition, Justice Department investigators in April received phone records of key officials and aides in the Trump administration, including his former chief of staff, Mark Meadows. According to two people familiar with the matter, that effort is another indicator of how expansive the January 6th probe had become well before the high-profile televised House hearings in June and July on the subject. B.S. This committee in the House has been working for months and months and months, well before April. And I just wish the Washington Post could report an honest story. It's incapable of it. The Washington Post and other news organizations have previously written that the Justice Department is examining the conduct of Eastman, Giuliani, and others in Trump's orbit. 
but the degree of prosecutors' interest in Trump's actions has not been previously reported, nor has the review of senior Trump aides' phone records. A Trump spokesman did not immediately respond to a request for comment. A Justice Department spokesman and a lawyer from Meadows both declined comment. Well, why would the Justice Department speak? They're leaking. They're not going to speak on the record. The revelations raise the stakes of an already politically fraught probe involving a former president still central to his party's fortunes who has survived previous investigations and two impeachments. Long before the January 6th investigation, Trump spent years railing against the Justice Department and the FBI. The investigation moving closer to him will probably intensify the antagonism. Oh, you think? You think? Got a story here about whistleblowers coming forward about how the Department of Justice focuses on Republicans and conservatives and not Democrats and liberals. Federal criminal investigations are are by design opaque and probes involving political figures among the most closely held secrets at the Department of Justice. Apparently not. Many end without criminal charges. The lack of observable investigative activity involving Trump and his White House for more than a year after the January 6th attack has fueled criticism, particularly from the left, that the Justice Department is not pursuing the case aggressively enough. Yeah, because the Democrat Party is pushing this from within justice, within the U.S. attorneys, and outside. I'm trying to understand how and why Trump partisans and lawyers sought to change the outcome of the election. One person familiar with the probe said, investigators also want to understand at a minimum what Trump told his lawyers and senior officials to do. Any investigation surrounding the effort to undo the results of the election must navigate complex issues of First Amendment protected political activity and when or whether a person's speech could become part of an alleged conspiracy in support of a coup. And I would ask these four reporters to look at American history and controversial elections. Many elements of the sprawling January 6th criminal investigation have remained under wraps, but in recent weeks the public pace of the work has increased with a fresh round of subpoenas, search warrants, and interviews Pence's former chief of staff, Mark Short, and lawyer Greg Jacob appeared before the grand jury in downtown Washington in recent days, according to the people familiar with the investigation. And by the way, Short is a Trump hater. Justice Department efforts are separate from the inquiry underway by the House Committee. Oh, really? Which has sought to portray Trump as responsible for inciting the Capitol riot, for being derelict in his duty for refusing to stop it, both Short and Jacob testified before the committee telling lawmakers that Pence resisted Trump's attempts to enlist him in the cause. So what? So what? He resisted the efforts, he did what he thought he should do, and that was that. Unlike the Justice Department, the House panel does not have the power to launch criminal investigations or charge anyone with wrongdoing. Really? Well, they have launched criminal-like investigations. The Justice Department probe began amid the smoke, blood, and chaos at the Capitol and has led to criminal charges against more than 840 individuals, expanding to include an examination of events that occurred elsewhere in the days and weeks before the attack, including at the White House and state capitals and at a D.C. hotel. There are two principal tracks. Boy, they know a lot. 
presumably, of the investigation that could ultimately lead to additional scrutiny of Trump. Two people familiar with the situation said, also speaking on the condition of anonymity, to discuss an ongoing investigation. All right, this is coming out of the Attorney General's office and the U.S. Attorney's office. If they're talking about tracks, the first centers on seditious conspiracy and conspiracy to obstruct a government proceeding. What did I tell you? The type of charges already filed against individuals who stormed the Capitol on January 6th and on two leaders of far-right groups, Stuart Rhodes and Harry Enrique Torrio, who did not breach the Capitol but were allegedly involved in planning the day's events. The second involves potential fraud associated with the false elector scheme. That's what I told you. With pressure Trump and his allies allegedly put on the Justice Department and others to falsely claim that the election was rigged and votes were fraudulently cast. This is way, 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 way out of line. This is an incredibly dangerous territory. Incredibly dangerous territory. You can't challenge elections. You can't challenge electors. You can't suggest that a second group of electors be sent to Washington. That's Congress's job to sort that out. Whether you think it's wise or ethical, that's beside the point. It's not criminal. We're now going to have the United States U.S. Attorney's Office in Washington, D.C. determine in every election what kind of pressure campaigns or lobbying campaigns of state legislatures, of electors, is criminal and is not? Are you kidding me? Seditious conspiracy? Conspiracy to obstruct a government? Not until the electors are counted has the election been concluded. Not until the electors are counted has the election been concluded. Recent subpoenas obtained by the Post. Obtained by the Post. That is leaked by the government to the Washington Post. So the two Arizona state legislators were ordered to turn over communications with any member, employee, or agent of Donald J. Trump or any organization advocating in favor of the 2020 re-election of Donald Trump, including Donald J. Trump for President, Inc. So what concerns me about this, ladies and gentlemen, is the utter and complete misapplication of criminal law to political events protected by the Constitution. And knowing the makeup of the judges in Washington, D.C., and knowing the makeup of the party identification of grand jury members and of jury members, this is a disaster for the country. No former president has ever been charged with a crime in the country's history. In cases when investigators found evidence suggesting a president engaged in a criminal conduct, as with Richard Nixon and Bill Clinton, investigators and successive administrations concluded it was better to grant immunity or forego prosecution. One goal was to avoid appearing to use government power to punish political enemies and assure the tradition of a peaceful transfer of power. Attorney General Merrick Garland has vowed that the January 6th investigation will follow the facts wherever they lead and said that no one is exempt or above scrutiny while refusing to divulge information outside of court filings. 
Garland told NBC News in the Tuesday interview the department pursues justice without fear or favor. Now, you know, he's lying through his teeth. We intend to hold everyone, anyone who is criminally responsible for the events surrounding January 6th, for any attempt to interfere with a lawful transfer of power from one administration to another accountable. That's what we do. We don't pay any attention to other issues with respect to that. Well, this article just talked about all the pressure you're getting from Democrats. And, of course, from committee members, all of them. Now, there you have it. Unbelievable. Unbelievable what they're going to do to this country. I'm telling you now. I'm telling you now. Unbelievable what they're going to do to this country. And it'll be a permanent, permanent damage that they're going to do. Permanent damage. Candidates won't know the extent to which they can lobby electors or state legislatures. State legislatures won't know the extent to which they can communicate with a presidential candidate. Prosecutors are taking all that activity, which is supposed to be vigorous. Yes, sometimes controversial, sometimes heated, because they are doing what? Doing the work of the Democrat Party and the media. It's corrupt through and through. Neither of the statutes that this Washington Post article talks about is applicable. But you can see if the reporting is accurate, and I don't doubt it, by the way. You can see the manner in which the Department of Justice is pursuing this, like it's some street crime. And I actually want to say this. This is going to shock you folks. This was a relatively, relatively balanced news article by the Washington Post. Don't you think, Rich? It wasn't as awful as they typically are. It wasn't as awful as they typically are. But we shall see, because I'm sure as we go forward, the Washington Post will be as lousy as it always has been and always will be. I'll be right back. Mark in. Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile are charging you a premium fee every month for data you don't use. Stop paying for things you don't use. Instead of paying $89 a month to your current provider, pay just $20 to Pure Talk for what you actually need. I made the switch, and I'll be honest, I was nervous at first thinking, well, is the coverage really going to be that good? Am I going to drop calls, slow internet? I can tell you firsthand. The 5G service is that good. Switching to Pure Talk was that easy. So listen, don't sit on the fence any longer. You're being ripped off by greedy wireless companies. It's time to take the leap and start saving money every month. Go to puretalk.com, select a plan, then enter promo code Levin Podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N Podcast and save 50% off your first month. You can literally be switched over to Pure Talk service in less than 10 minutes. So go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. I've not forgotten. I'll have to wait till next day to tell you what I, what I think is a very cool thing. Uh, but uh, that story broke and I needed to confront it. And, um, and I have this piece in front of me. Uh, from uh, Just the News, and uh, a string of whistleblowers within the FBI allege the Bureau and the Department of Justice have selectively observed 
federal guidelines, launching investigations into conservative-aligned figures without a sufficient basis to do so. And when you have Chuck Grassley himself highlighting this, it's a big deal because he's a straight shooter. Grassley, and he's been around a long time. So we're going to want to talk about that next hour, among other things. But this cuts to the core of what's going on. We have an utterly corrupt, utterly corrupt Department of Justice and U.S. Attorney's Office, as far as I'm concerned. I'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to ask you a question. Did you know withdrawing your cash from the bank can be very risky? That's right. Banks are now required to spy on us for the government. And they report any behavior they think is suspicious. It's true. And I was shocked when I read this secret war on cash from Swiss America. The new war against cash is really a war against the Constitution. Against all freedom-loving Americans. So, you need to read the war on cash. Get your free copy by calling 800-630-1492, 800-630-1492, or visit SwissAmerica.com. Now, this war on cash is growing daily and also includes all forms of digital money. Please get and read The Secret War on Cash free to my listeners by calling now, 800-630-1492, 800 1492 or visit SwissAmerica.com. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Yo, America, Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. For the first time in over 20 years, you won't hear this hour on radio. What am I talking about? Well, you'll be able to listen to my first ever podcast-only special. My first ever podcast-only special. And I want you to listen to my first exclusive podcast-only hour right here. Where? Where? Subscribe to the Mark Levin Show podcast to listen to my first ever podcast hour. It will be launched at 5 a.m. tomorrow, Eastern Time. 
Those of you who have already subscribed to the Mark Levin Show podcast, you'll be able to hear it. And it'll launch at 5 a.m. tomorrow, Eastern Time, but you'll be able to hear it throughout. Right, Mr. Producer? Now, those of you who have not subscribed to the podcast, you can subscribe to the Mark Levin Show podcast on your phone's podcast app. Or go to marklevinshow.com, click Audio Rewind to subscribe to your favorite podcast platform, Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, or Amazon. If you're already subscribed, again, you don't need to do anything to get the special podcast. It will automatically show up on your podcast platform. I'm doing one hour this month, one hour next month, one hour the following, and one hour after that. Four fresh hours focused specifically on the election. Now, our general podcast, as you know, is uh, is available too, uh, and what we do is we we replay the radio show in a more truncated form uh, for those of you who cannot listen when the program is on in your communities. But we encourage you to listen on the radio, on satellite, on our apps, and we encourage you to use the podcast if that's the best way for you. The goal is to get out the message. But this is a, uh, it's an experiment that I've been wanting to try for a long time. Just one hour out of the entire month. So you can check us out on the Mark Levin Show podcast. I hope you will. Just the news. Corrupted to their very core. Whistleblowers say DOJ, FBI show political bias and investigations. A string of whistleblowers. Now, you know, the media used to love whistleblowers. They wouldn't use their names. They protected them. They were the source of impeachment. They're the source of... Here we have whistleblowers telling you that the FBI and the Department of Justice are politically corrupt. And the Washington Post doesn't run it. The New York Times doesn't run it. CBS, NBC, ABC, they don't care. What's that guy's last name? Jeremy, what's his name again, Mr. Producer? Jeremy Peters. He doesn't care. Philly Bump doesn't care. Sarah Rump doesn't care. None of them. A string of whistleblowers within the FBI allege that the Bureau and the Department of Justice have selectively observed federal guidelines, launching investigations into conservative-aligned figures without a sufficient basis to do so. In a Monday press release from the Senate Judiciary Committee ranking member Chuck Grassley, the Iowa Republican highlighted whistleblower accusations that, quote, Washington Field Office Assistant Special Agent in Charge, Timothy Thebolt, T-H-I-B-A-U-L-T, disregarded agency guidelines requiring substantial factual predication to trigger investigations. Grassley's office noted that Thebolt played a pivotal role in opening an investigation into the Trump campaign, using information from a, quote, left-aligned organization, unquote, and that he whitewashed the source's biases to coax approval for an investigation from FBI Director Christopher Wray and Attorney General Merrick Garland. And the whistleblowers further allege that Thebolt 
worked to falsely discredit legitimate evidence against Hunter Biden, President Joe Biden's son, related to his finances and business deals abroad. Grassley wrote last week to Ray and Garland to address the allegations against Thebolt, making bold pronouncement as to the state of American justice system should they prove true. He said if these allegations are true and accurate, the Justice Department and FBI are and have been institutionally corrupted to their very core, to the point in which the United States Congress and the American people will have no confidence in the equal application of the law. Grassley, in late May, wrote to Ray Garland and Inspector General Michael Horowitz to call their attention to politically charged social media posts Theobald made at the expense of Republicans. I mean, you know, folks, this is just unbelievable anymore. How corrupt, how damn corrupt it is at the FBI. I'm sorry. It's unbelievable anymore. So what's going to happen? Well, as long as the Democrats control both houses of Congress, absolutely nothing. And the reason this phony U.S. attorney in Washington, this guy Graves, is now moving so fast is he wants to act before the midterm elections for two reasons. One, to try and affect the outcome of that election. To try and put a, a damper on Republican turnout to try and change the subject from Biden and the Democrats in Congress and the disasters they've created into headline after headline after headline about Trump. And number two, oversight. He's concerned about Republican oversight. So now he's in a hurry. The committee's in a hurry to avoid the the input from the American people if they want to stand for this, which they don't. And the corruption at the FBI must be another area where this Republican House, should they be elected, God willing. We'll need to take a close look. Now, if people in Ohio, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Wisconsin, Nevada, are on the, are on the fence about who to vote for, you better wake the hell up and fast. We're losing our classrooms, which means we're going to lose our kids. The most perverse, outrageous, pornographic materials being indoctrinated into the minds of your children. Furthermore, we're teaching racism in our classrooms. We're teaching hostility to capitalism and pushing socialism in our classrooms. They are destroying our energy system. Destroying it which will collapse the entire economy, and on and on and on. You shouldn't be on the fence, ladies and gentlemen. Those of you who listen to me, I'm a moderate, I don't like to. Wake the hell up and wake up fast. And make sure your family members and your friends wake the hell up. Don't be shy. Don't be shy. We're losing our country. To people like the U.S. Attorney in Washington, D.C., the Attorney General in Washington, D.C. We're losing our country. It's no joke. Now, Trump is at the America First Policy Institute Summit today. 
And he made some interesting comments. Mike Pence was at Young Americans Foundation, a group I'm a big fan of, and he made some interesting comments today. And I think you should, you should hear some of them. Donald Trump, cut 20, Mr. Producer, go. We had a booming economic recovery like nobody's seen before. The strongest and most secure border in U.S. history. Energy independence and even energy dominance. Historically low gas prices, as you know. No inflation, a fully rebuilt military and a country that was highly respected all over the world by other leaders, by other countries, highly respected. Very simply, we had made America great again. We made it great again, and we did it by putting workers first, by putting families first, and above all, by putting America first. But now our country has been brought to its knees, literally, brought to its knees, and who would have thought this could happen? Inflation is the highest in 49 years, 9.1%, and a lot of people think it's much higher than that. Gas prices have reached the highest in the history of our country. We have become a beggar nation, groveling to other countries for energy. Cut 21, go. Where there are radical and racist prosecutors denying citizens the full protection of the laws, those officers need to be investigated by the federal government and their systematic violations of civil rights has to be taken care of. And where there is a true and total breakdown of law and order, where citizens' most basic rights have been violated, then the federal government can and should send the National Guard to restore order and secure the peace without having to wait for the approval of some governor that thinks it's politically incorrect to call him in. Mm-hmm. 22, go. You execute a drug dealer and you'll save 500 lives because they kill, on average, 500 People, it's terrible to say, but you take a look at every country in this world that doesn't have a problem with drugs. They have a very strong death penalty for the people that sell drugs. If we're going to stop this scourge. Now, I might add 110,000 deaths from fentanyl alone, alone, fentanyl alone. And Joe Biden takes no responsibility whatsoever. Blame Trump for every death under the COVID virus. But here the border is wide, wide open, ladies and gentlemen. Go ahead. To get brutally tough on the dealers and traffickers and narco-terrorist cartels who are stealing over 200,000 American lives a year. And that's a very low number compared to what the real number is. Now, there is a sensible thoughtful president who had an outstanding four years despite the best efforts of the same people who are trying to take him down now. Now. Mike Pence at Young Americans Foundation today. Cut 23. Go. And I'll always be grateful for the opportunity to serve as vice president. So I don't know that our movement is that divided. I don't know that the president and I differ on issues, but we may differ on focus. I truly do believe that elections are about the future. 
and that is absolutely essential at a time when so many Americans are hurting, so many families are struggling, that we don't give way to the temptation to look back. But I think the time has come for us to offer a bold, positive agenda to bring America back. And I'll continue to carry that message all across this nation. There's really nothing wrong with that statement. President Trump, even though the media are trying to create a problem, the President Trump speaks a lot and has spoken about a lot 2020. And that's perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. He doesn't want it to happen again. I get it. Mike Pence wants to talk about what he would do as President of the United States. What he would do as President of the United States. I get it. It's okay. Everybody relax. It's okay. Cut 24. Go. We begin our freedom agenda with a focus on American culture. Now, why is that? Well, the late Andrew Breitbart often said, politics is downstream from culture. If we allow the radical left to continue dumping toxic waste into the headwaters of our culture, our politics will get more poisonous than ever. You know, the American people are proud of our culture. They believe it's worth protecting for future generations. As Americans, we believe in those timeless ideals of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. So where we begin with the freedom agenda is a very simple commitment to secure the sanctity of life at the center of American law once again. I stand before you today with a grateful heart that after nearly 50 years of lives of incalculable value lost to our nation. 50 years of heartbreak. 50 years of praying and fasting and working and volunteering and caring. Last month, at long last, with the support of three Supreme Court justices appointed during the Trump-Pence administration, we sent Roe versus Wade to the ash heap of history where it belongs. Now you'll notice that Pence is not in any respect running away from his service under Donald Trump. Not in any way. Calls it the Trump-Pence administration. So that's a good thing. It's okay. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. You know, for the last few days, there have been media reports going back and forth that uh, Nancy Pelosi has a trip planned to Taiwan. 
And uh, Communist China said, Nancy better not come to Taiwan. That will be viewed by the Communist Chinese as an extreme act of provocation. Joe Biden and his tough guys running the Pentagon have advised Nancy Pelosi not to go. Nancy Pelosi suggested again that she would like to go. The communist Chinese warned her again, don't go. There will be, quote, serious consequences, unquote, if she goes through with these plans. And demonstrating how serious they are, according to Jazz Shaw at Hot Air, Chinese launched another series of military exercises this week, leading to widespread air raid drills in Taiwan. So is this just bluster on the part of Beijing, or are we really getting ready to throw down? As he puts it, China's foreign ministry spokesman went on to say that his country is prepared to take unspecified, quote, firm and forceful measures if Pelosi shows up and that America should be held responsible for, quote, any, quote, serious consequences, unquote. Are we going to take this crap from this regime? I'm tired of hearing people say, well, don't provoke them, Mark. You know, don't provoke the Russians. Don't provoke the Iranians. What the hell are you talking about? Now, Nancy Pelosi should go to Taiwan. The administration should back her trip. She should get there on a military plane. And China should be told, shut the hell up or we're going to kick your ass. Now, I'll be right back. Mark Levin, America's Tyranny Hunter. Call in now, 877-381-3811. Electric cars, ladies and gentlemen. Maybe we'll have cars like the Jetsons. Remember that commercial? That cartoon, Mr. Producer? George Jetson and so forth? Apparently it was the favorite of the Democrats. My buddy Stephen Hayward is writing in the pipeline, and he is a smart dude. Electric cars are having a big moment right now with the supercilious wonder boy of the Biden administration, Pete Buttigieg, proclaiming last week that we could escape the pain at the gas pump if more people could access electric cars, EVs. Very telling that he chose to say access rather than afford electric cars, but because without the $7,500 tax credit, very few middle-class people can afford to buy an electric car, and very few middle-class people do. The lion's share of so-called clean energy subsidies are captured by high-income households. But press beyond the typical economic illiteracy of the leftists like Buttigieg, who think having the government pay billions in subsidies makes something cheaper. And note that electrons aren't printed out of thin air by the Federal Reserve like our fast-deprecating currency. Or he writes, fast-depreciating currency. With electricity rates rising fastest in those places that have overemphasized so-called renewable energy, such as California or Germany, it's not clear that consumers will save much by driving a more expensive electric car and paying higher utility rates. And that's if you can still fill it up with electrons whenever you want to. During recent power crunches, which are threatening to become endemic in the U.S. under the current policies of the Biden apparatchiks, 
Grid operators have asked EV, that's electric vehicle owners, not to charge their vehicles in the evening when power demand is highest and the time of day when most working people will want to charge their cars. Right now, electric vehicles make up about 1% of America's car fleet. So if they pose challenges for the electric grid already at 1%, what will the challenges look like if the electric vehicle fleet reaches, say, 50% of the auto fleet as Biden proposes? No wonder Elon Musk says we'll need to expand electric power generation by 30% or more to meet the demand of a larger EV fleet on the road. And yet it is supremely uncouth to point out that electrons for EV batteries are generated mostly from, ready, fossil fuels. And thus, electric vehicles may not deliver a net reduction in greenhouse gas emissions when a proper life cycle analysis is done. Economist Mark Perry, I like this guy. He's a smart dude. Economist Mark Perry notes that nearly two-thirds of current U.S. electricity is generated by coal and natural gas. And the figure rises to 86% if you include nuclear power, which environmentalists irrationally hate and are trying to eliminate. So 86%, 86% of electricity is created by fossil fuels and nuclear power. When you raise this problem, you are met with a hail of green indignation about how we're starting on an incredible transition to our carbon-free energy future, a phrase Biden and Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm have both used repeatedly with the unsettling grin that they have of a fanatic. EVs are just an early step toward the carbon-free nirvana, which is just a few hundred thousand more windmills and square miles of solar power away, don't you know? A recent little-notice report from Volvo punctures this green myth, even though the very green Volvoians <laughs> try very hard to obscure this conclusion. The report notes what a number of neutral analysts have pointed out for some time now. Electric vehicles are more material-intensive than old-fashioned gasoline-powered cars, requiring more steel, aluminum, copper, and other rare-earth minerals and specialty products like magnets that must be mined with environmentalists, which environmentalists oppose and require an energy-intensive process to manufacture into shiny environmental vehicles. We've talked at length about this. And that's before you get to the huge quantity of lithium. Lithium needed for batteries. Now, let me see here. Did I cut it off? Now, this is eye-popping when Volvo admits that the carbon footprint for the manufacture of its C40 recharge electric car, ready? is 70% higher, higher, higher than its comparable internal combustion version of the car. But not to worry, says Volvo, you'll make up the higher manufacturing emissions when you drive the emission-free EV far enough. How far? Kudos to Volvo for calculating that. At the world's average electricity sourcing today, a C40 Volvo driver would need to drive his car 68,000 miles to reach a break-even carbon footprint with a gasoline-powered model. The average American drives about 14 miles a year and thus would need to drive his Volvo electrical vehicle almost five years before reaching a lower carbon footprint. What if we had a grid that was 100% wind or solar-powered? Volvo calculates that an environmental vehicle driver would still need to drive 30,000 miles before reaching a carbon footprint break-even point 
with a gasoline car. This is such a disgrace. We are being served such bullcrap. And individuals like Chuck Todd and George Stephanopoulos and John Dick, uh, Dickerson and others like that, they're such ideologues and they are so stupid. They don't even spend one show explaining any of this as we plunge ahead. It's all a ruse anyway. Electric vehicles drop in price and effectiveness, which may be possible with enough brute force engineering. You can expect environmentalists to turn against them by noting the huge environmental footprint to make them and the human rights problems. Child labor in Africa mining all the cobalt EVs needed. They did it before with natural gas, which environmentalists embraced. Embraced. Back in 2000 to 2010 as a bridge fuel, quote-unquote, when they thought they could bash coal with gas and turned on a dime when natural gas became cheap and plentiful. They'll do the same with electric cars someday. Yes, until you're poor and broke, because that's what they do. Poor and broke. In the meantime, around half of older Americans can't afford essential expenses, according to a report. Around half of Americans' seniors can't afford essential expenses. Data from the University of Massachusetts. Less than half of older American men. The report takes several factors into account, including cost of health care, food, housing, transportation, rising inflation, coupled with higher costs of living have put strains on many Americans' purse strings. More than half of older women who live alone are classified as poor under federal poverty standards or have insufficient incomes to pay for essential expenses, while 45% of men share the same financial situations. You know, this Democrat nirvana, it's just so cool. It's so great. And I have one other thing I've been meaning to get to. I saw this story over the weekend, and this is typically how the Washington Compost handles things. GOP lawmaker opposed same-sex marriage, then went to gay son's wedding. Jonathan Edwards. Representative Glenn Thompson, Republican Pennsylvania, last week voted against federal legislation that would require states to recognize same-sex marriages. Three days later, the congressman attended his son's same-sex wedding. Do you know why this congressman voted against this so-called legislation, America? The Supreme Court already ruled that same-sex marriage is protected. It already ruled that in every state, in every town, in every city, in every, in every hovel. So the Democrats put this vote up as they do with interracial marriage and so forth as they do with contraceptions. Why? Contraceptives. Why? Because the Democrats want you to believe that the Supreme Court ruled in a way that exposes all these areas to having these matters repealed. Now, whether you agree or not, the Supreme Court specifically did not. Three different places in the majority opinion it says, no, we're not. And Clarence Thomas was one of those who signed on to the majority opinion. So why are they taking this vote in Congress? 
because the Democrats are trying to get their constituents out and want people on record as voting against it so they can say Glenn Thompson voted against federal legislation to protect same-sex marriage while his gay son had a same-sex wedding three days later because Jonathan Edwards is a fraud and a fool He's a writer for the Washington Compost. And he's running interference for the Democrats. And it was an election stunt. Johnny, you didn't fall for it. You promoted it. He says the Respect for Marriage Act is a failsafe. At the moment, the Supreme Court's 2015 ruling bars states from banning same-sex marriages in addition to protect... And he goes on. He gives the same lame propaganda that the Democrats give. This is why these phony reporters move in and out of government for Democrats on Congress, in Congress, on the Hill, and uh, in a Democrat administration. They're just move one into the other, and they're perfectly comfortable and perfectly fine. So they have to try and humiliate this congressman and this congressman's son who is gay and who is getting married They have to humiliate him because he's a Republican, because he's not going to fall for the trick. And he's actually quite courageous to do what he did, because the Democrat Party will now take this article, as Johnny knows, and spread it everywhere to try and character assassinate this congressman. What an a-hole. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Do you want to see Joe Biden run for a second term? Yeah, I, you know, that's an easy question. It's not going to take long. Do you want to see Joe I, Biden? I don't run? want to answer that question because we have not. That's not. Yeah, I don't want to answer that question. OK, um, I mean, he's the president. And he has the right to to run for a second term. Absolutely. That's good. Right but I don't want to. I don't I don't want. I'd rather you not do that. Okay, answer so you got like two minutes to be in the car. Yeah, I know. I got to get to the. Well, thanks very much. Other that is uh, one of the stooges, Cory Bush, a Marxist of uh, Missouri, and uh, you have to run. We have two minutes. That's at her own headquarters, by the way. At her own headquarters. I don't know, Mr. Producer. I guess I should take a call about now. Is there anybody there to whom I shall speak for a minute? Frederick Maryland, the great WMAL. Ian! Ian, how are you, my friend? I'm doing Speaker fantastic. forever, hold Mark, yourself. Thank you so much for that... Uh... Yes. <laughs> Thank you for that education earlier, that history lesson. It was fantastic. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you see, hey, uh, uh, you see, the prosecutors, they didn't have a Department of Justice or prosecutors back then. But you could see that they would be uh, charging Jefferson and Hamilton and Adams for a conspiracy. Maybe even Burr. They'd be chasing down electors in one state or another. Pretty amazing, isn't it? It's, it's unbelievable. And I'm so thankful for those whistleblowers in the FBI, uh, the yeah. courage they have and, and what's going on. It's, it's unbelievable. But I want to encourage our brothers and sisters in Wyoming to get out. And they've just got to talk to everybody about Liz Cheney. Now, I think her last poll, she's down by 22, but she should be down by 40. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then, you know, uh, Mr. Producer, now that our, our 
Wonderful caller reminded me. Let's see when this primary is, and let's bring uh, her opponent in again the uh, Monday before the primary. When is it? Harriet Hegman, yeah. Let's bring her on. She's fantastic, by the way. And the reason why, Byron New York had a great piece. The reason why Cheney's losing badly among Republicans in Wyoming is in part because of her hate for Trump and what she's done on that committee. But Byron points out she's a carpetbagger. She was born in Wisconsin. She went to school in Illinois. She was raised in Northern Virginia, and she only went back to run for office. And she doesn't spend much time helping the people of Wyoming with the issues they face. And they face a lot of problems with the federal government, given the nature of the state with minerals, with oil drilling, with uh, um, transportation, all kinds of issues. And she is basically an absentee congresswoman when it comes to Wyoming. And she doesn't really talk to the people. She goes to radio stations and stuff like that. She's way, way too busy. She's running for president. That's what she's doing. Of what country, I'm not sure. Thank you for your call, my brother. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel. We salute our truckers and the men and women in Ukraine. We're doing everything they can to survive, and God bless them. And we will see you tomorrow, America. See you then. Be well. Be well.